We have two scripture passages this morning, an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. The Old Testament reading is Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 through 34. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,227. And as you turn there, I would like to remind you all that these past six weeks, we've been in the middle of a series Uh, along with thousands of other churches in the Chicago area for this Explore God initiative. And we've been asking these big questions, questions that people who don't know about Christianity or may be curious about it may ask, or also people who have been Christians for some time and maybe been told that you're not allowed to ask questions, not allowed to have doubts, might have these thoughts as well. Today is the last Sunday in that series, and we end with the question... Can I know God personally? Can I know God personally? So read with me Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31 through 34. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor Or a man, his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now turn with me to Titus chapter 3. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,859. Our passage this morning from the New Testament is focusing on verses 3 through 8, but I'm going to start the reading in verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. This is Paul speaking to Titus, who has been placed over a church in Crete and He's instructing them about how to go about his work of ministry. Then he says this. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable. For everyone, as for the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Can I know God 
personally? Can I know God personally? It's quite an interesting question. It assumes an understanding of what personal relationships are. And I believe we know inherently what personal relationships are because as human beings created in the image of God, we are relational in nature. We are relational in nature. And as we discussed when we answered the question, does life have a purpose? The truth is that our entire purpose is to know God. It's the reason we were created, to know Him. It's the reason why we're here. But can I know God personally also assumes that something has happened where some would feel as if God is distant, God is so far away, so much greater than me, puny human being, sinful and corrupt and broken as I am. How can I possibly know God personally? That seems to me to be the the thrust of the question. Well, there was one gentleman long ago who also knew the importance and the purpose of our creation was to have a personal, intimate relationship with God. And he talked about it often, especially in the context of his particular situation, the time of the Reformation as things were changing in the church and in the world. The question still remained, how can we know God personally? And Calvin speaking, John Calvin speaking to how we come to know God personally said these things. We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. Therefore, to share with us what he has received from the Father, he had to become ours and to dwell within us. We also in turn are said to be engrafted into him and to put on Christ. For as, have I, as I have said, all that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. Calvin seems to have his finger on the real problem. And that is that as long as Christ is outside of us, as long as Christ is out here, then all his many blessings that he came to give to us cannot be received, cannot be had. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. If I can hammer anything home to you guys this morning, this is what I want to hammer home. We come to know God the Father in Jesus Christ 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. We come to know God the Father and Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The first thing that we're going to talk about is the love of God. Or we could say the gospel ordained. Then we're going to look at the grace of Christ. So we're going to talk about the gospel accomplished. And then we're going to talk about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit or the gospel applied. Okay? The gospel applied. So let's look first at the love of God, the gospel ordained. Remember back when I discussed, does life have a purpose? I talked about the Garden of Eden. I talked about the reason where we were created. We were created to know God, to have personal relationship with Him, to enjoy Him forever, to be in His presence. And of course, we can see in the garden that's exactly what Adam and Eve had. They had this close, intimate relationship with God in this beautiful garden. But that was broken. Broken by the fall into sin, the deception of the serpent, the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so that communion that they had in the garden was lost. And you can say this, that the entire rest of the Bible is about regaining that communion fellowship, that union, that fellowship, that knowing with God. That's what it's all about. So you can think about all the many complexities of the scriptures, all the Levitical laws, all the stories of the patriarchs getting brought into slavery in Egypt, all the strange laws that we find, all the tabernacle and the temple, all the wars and battles, all of that, it's all about coming back to communion, fellowship, knowing God. That's what it's about. In fact, our catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, speaks to this a little bit when it reveals the identity of the one mediator who is both man and both God who saves us from the sin that has separated us from that communion fellowship with God. And it says this in question 18 and 19. Who is this mediator, true God, at the same time truly human, truly righteous? The answer is our Lord Jesus Christ who has given us to set us completely free and to make us right with God. How do you come to know this? The Holy Gospel tells me. God himself began to reveal the gospel already in paradise. Later he proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and portrayed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, he fulfilled it through his own dear son. You see, many people would read that and say, What do you mean he began to reveal the gospel in the garden? The gospel doesn't come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the gospels. But the reason why people have this short-sighted view is because they don't realize that the saving of a people in Jesus Christ was God's plan From before the beginning of time. Let me help you understand this. The gospel ordained means that when Eve took the bite from that fruit, God didn't say, whoops, what are we going to do now? 
you going to do now? Well, I better come up with a plan B. No. The gospel ordained means that all the history of redemption from Genesis 1 to Malachi 3, I think that's how many chapters are in Malachi, leading up to the incarnation of Jesus Christ is all about Jesus Christ being revealed. It's all about showing that God the Father has ordained before time to have a people in Jesus Christ who committed himself to go and to be incarnate and to live a perfect and holy life and to die upon the cross and be raised three days later and to ascend to sit at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit promised that it would go, that he would go and sin and bring and apply that work of redemption to the people Christ came and died for. And that's why... When we read in Jeremiah 31, these words, they should not come as a shock to us. They should not come as a surprise to us. Here, Jeremiah speaking on the eve of judgment coming to Jerusalem. Here, Jeremiah speaking as some have already been brought into exile. Speaks these promising words from God about this new covenant, right? The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It's not going to be like the covenant I made with the forefathers when I brought them out of Egypt. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their minds And write it on the hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will forgive their wickedness. Remember their sins no more. What's God talking about here? God is talking about what John Calvin was saying. He's saying, I understand that as long as I'm outside of my people, they lose all the value." about holiness and righteousness would give them. So I must come and dwell within them. I can't be outside of them. I have to be within them. I have to write my law on their hearts and their minds so I can be their God and they can be my people. I have to be united with them. I have that fellowship bond with them. And this is what comes. It's what comes in Christ, the love of God, the gospel ordained, entering into history and putting on flesh. It's what Paul wanted to remind Titus about as he dealt with difficult and sinful and harsh people. He said, Titus, remember That we were disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. 
We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Paul's saying to Titus, Titus, remember. Remember. But in the coming of salvation in Christ, the love of God, the gospel ordained before time even began has come to fruition. And now you must remind yourself that once what, what was outside of you has come to live in you. That you can know God personally. Because what keeps us from that personal knowledge, communion, fellowship, is the sin, is it not? It's the separation caused by the fall. It's that at one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hating one another. And so, God, before all time, ordained that the good news of Jesus Christ would come into history, and that's what came. All that God had ordained led to this moment in history, the coming of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Titus 3.6 talks about this when it speaks of the way in which salvation has come to us inwardly is through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The grace of Christ is that the gospel that God ordained before all time is accomplished in history in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The coming of salvation which was experienced by Paul and Titus and everyone here who, who knows God personally because they've been drawn by God and have true faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's reminding Titus of in order to help him remain humble and have the proper attitude toward outsiders and those who are young in their faith. It's all been accomplished in Jesus Christ in history. And what do I mean by that in history? Well, you see, when Paul himself was dealing with people teaching false things about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he said, this is what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. What's this gospel? For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and so on and so on. Historical realities. Christ accomplished the good news the gospel, historically, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension. These aren't theological terms. 
These aren't churchy terms. These are real world history terms. They happen. Because Christ, having been sent by the Father, came into this world, put on flesh, lived a perfect life on our behalf, went to the cross, suffered upon the cross, the wrath of God against sin and ungodliness, and died. God died. Three days later, rose again from the grave, forever defeating death and sin. He who became sin for our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. It happened in history, in time. The gospel accomplished. But maybe you guys are all thinking what I'm thinking. I didn't live then. I live now. How can what Jesus Christ did thousands of years ago in time and history be something that affects my life today? That me right now, who, don't, who doesn't know God, who's separated from God because of my sin and because of my unholiness and because of my rebellion against Him, how can I come to know God personally? How can I come to have God, to have that fellowship, that union with Him? You see, you might have noticed that my outline is very much like the greeting that I often give, or another pastor often gives, at the beginning of the service, the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit greets you all. Why is it that the fellowship is, is attached to the Holy Spirit? When Paul uses these words in his letter, why is it that the fellowship is what proclaims It's the word used with the person, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit. Because it is in the Spirit. The pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost, which was a once-for-time historical event, but it's something that goes beyond time. And to every Christian life, The gospel was ordained before time. Christ came and accomplished the gospel in time. But how does that gospel become applied in our lives, become real to us? Be inside of us. Like John Calvin was saying, how can Christ come to be in us that everything he has may be be of worth to us, mean something to us, because as long as he's outside of us, it doesn't help. That's what Paul is telling Titus about here. He's saying, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. 
He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, the Holy Spirit, he comes and he applies the work of Christ to us, in us. And in doing so, We once again have that union, fellowship, communion that Adam and Eve had in the garden prior to the fall of sin. But I must say, even greater. And even greater it will be When the sin that we struggle against in the flesh and the world and the devil is no longer. When the Holy Spirit, he comes to dwell within us by faith. When he is poured out on us through Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus died for my sins becomes personal. My, my It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Me. It becomes my. My comfort. My hope. My faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Because Christ who was once outside of us now comes to dwell within us. That's when the law is written on my heart. That's when the forgiveness of sins happens. That's when we know from that point on we shall never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That we have in that moment the knowledge of God That we have come to know God personally. And we will know Him and be with Him forever. This is what I want to leave you with. There are many things that we could talk about when we talk about what Christ came to accomplish, what the gospel is about. He came and died so that our sins could be dealt with. Amen. That is true and that is not the ultimate reason he came. He came and got the wrath of God poured out on him on the cross that I wouldn't have to go to hell. Amen. That is true. That is not the only reason or the ultimate reason Christ came into this world. He came so that instead of dying, I could have eternal life. Amen. That is not the ultimate reason Christ came. Christ came into this world and lived and died for you that you can have Christ. That you can have God. 
Can you know God personally? That's the reason you were created, and it's through Christ and through the receiving of the Holy Spirit that you come to have God. He is the ultimate treasure. He is the ultimate possession. He is the thing that we need, that we want, that we must have. He is the reason why we are. And he is what we must desire above all. It's the greatest and most wonderful thing that we can have is to know God personally. Maybe I were to put it like this. And I've heard John Piper describe it like this as well. If I were to tell you that you could go to heaven and all your friends and family would be there and you would no longer suffer or have any ailments and you would have all the leisurely activities that you could possibly imagine, but Christ wasn't there, would you still want to go? And if your answer to that question is, I kind of thought that's what heaven was. Then you've missed the boat because Jesus is heaven. Jesus is the promised land. Jesus is the land of milk and honey. Jesus is everything. And God the Father ordained through before time that we would come to know Christ through the gospel. Christ came and put on flesh and accomplished the gospel in time and history. And the Holy Spirit was poured out so we could have fellowship with God so that what was outside of us now may become what's inside of us. And he, the Holy Spirit, has applied the work of Christ to our lives. And my challenge to you is, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know him as Lord's Day 1 describes him, only comfort and hope. My master who has saved me from the tyranny of the devil. I plead with you. Come to Christ. Be forgiven of your sins. Come to know him. Truly. And if you do know him. I pray you would know what great and wonderful treasure you have in Christ, that you would prize him, and that you would love him, and that you would enjoy and seek and strive after that wonderful, beautiful fellowship that you have by blood-bought, spirit-bound union with the triune God. Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this time. And thank you for this word. You are our Savior. And you saved us not because we were righteous in ourselves, but because of your mercy. You saved us in the washing and regeneration, 
renewal of the Holy Spirit whom you poured out generously on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And may we, Lord, knowing now that we have become heirs, having the hope of eternal life, share this with others that they may come to know you as we have come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.